Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Today, I have the pleasure of having... Jeffrey J. Fox, he's the writer, uh, which is the topic of the show, is called How to Become a Rainmaker. If you would like to join in the conversation, feel free to call in at 347-324-3460, 347-324-3460. If you do have a question, just go ahead and press 1. Or you can join us in the chat room or you can email us at the Core Business Show, uh, info at thecorebusinessshow.com. Jeffrey, welcome to the program. Morning. Good morning. Thank you for I, I guess me. to begin uh, great, thank you. I guess to begin with, kind of tell us about yourself, uh, where you're from, and uh, our audience love personal stories on Arthur. So tell us about yourself, and then how did you come about writing this book? Well, um, uh, I actually have a full-time job, which is uh, my marketing consulting company, which is Fox & Company, incorporated mm-hmm. in Chester, Connecticut. And I actually, my very first book was How to Become CEO, and my second book was How to Become a Rainmaker, and um, uh, I think my first book came out about 12 years ago, and my 12th book came out a couple months ago, so I've been writing about one a year, and wow. I got I got into the, the book writing business purely by accident. I had um, uh, put together some notes for my kids and for the kids of my clients who were always calling me up and saying, you know, Tim has just graduated from university, won't listen to a word I say, so give him a, and, and I did that, and so I had to give a talk. I was a trustee at Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, and on the board there. And they asked me to give a talk one evening to about 30, 35 kids that were graduating, men and women, um, who were both academic award winners and varsity letter winners. And so they said, speak for 20 minutes, and I knew that meant 10. And I handed out a densely typed, <laughs> untitled, a, a densely typed, untitled monograph of these ideas that I'd been putting together. And I said to them, Here's a gift. You're going to the big bad world. Here's some ideas, and so it was untitled and was typed on both sides and was thin. And uh, but un- unbeknownst to me, they started, the kids started making copies for their friends and parents and relatives and what have you. And all of it, or some of it, or most of it, got into the hands of a book packager in California. The guy called me up. He said, "I think you have a book." And for a modest fee, he made it look like a book. And um, I came up with the title, How to Become CEO, after I wrote it, because uh, my readers are ambitious people and uh, ambitious young people as well. And and then a week later, he called me up. He said, this is too easy. He was able to get me an, an, an agent. And those listeners or ears will know who are interested in writing books, it's very hard to get an agent. It's almost as hard to get a publisher. And three weeks wow. later... Um, it called me up and said, uh, you know, uh, this is public knowledge. She said, Jeffrey, I've got fantastic news. And I said, what is that? She said, well, we have a, an offer for your book, How to Become CEO, the rights of that book to publish in the United States for $50,000. And I said, well, is wow. that Yankees 5, Red Sox 1, Yankees 5, Red Sox 2? I mean, what is that relatively speaking? And she said, well, that's a fantastic offer for a first-time 
non-celebrity author, which, by the way, Tim, I still am a non-celebrity author, really. I mean, um, people know my books. They don't know me. And then I said, well, I'll think about it. And so seven minutes to the 12, uh, 12 noon on the same day, she called me up and said, Jeffrey, we got fantastic news. And I said, what is it? She said, well, we have a preemptive offer to publish your, the rights to your book, How to Become CEO in the United States, for $125,000. Wow. And I said, I know. I said, what is a preemptive offer? And she said, well, if you don't accept it, it'll explode by 3 o'clock this afternoon and go away. Do you want to think about it? I said, yeah, I'll take it. And so, uh, <laughs> right, right. So we published the there book. It made the New York Times bestseller list. It's been published in 35 languages around the world, and that led my publisher to come to me to do another book deal. And we did a two book deal. One is called How to Become a Rainmaker, which is the subject of today's talk, I think, our conversation. And then after that, mm-hmm. I wrote another book called Don't Send a Resume, which has been retitled, unfortunately, to how to land your dream job. But Don't Send a Resume is a book on marketing yourself to get a job. And that's a cult item among college graduates and so forth. So How to Become a Rainmaker was my second book. That's been published um, uh, it's been published around the world as well. As a matter of fact, I was in Asia two weeks ago. I was in Xi'an, China, then Seoul, Korea, and Tokyo. And in each place, um, my book was, was there in 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 Chinese, Korean, and Japanese, and I had to sign wow. the books for all the guys and all the photographs and stuff. So um, it's kind of a fun second sideline career, if you will, to have these books, you know. So that's a little bit about uh, it. It's just really amazing because uh, uh, every now and then, um, uh, I think uh, we'll go to half parties books to look for something that I can't no longer find. Um, and uh, I was just killing time that particular day uh, before the uh, for a game, and I said, "Okay, let's go over here and with my wife, and let's go to the bookstore." And we've got like an hour and a half to kill uh, before the game starts. So, uh, of course, I go to the business section and stuff out, and I saw your this little book. So, oh, wow! And I just left uh, an event from during the summer uh, with uh, Jigsaw. Uh, okay. It was one of the Rainmakers, uh, they go to the annual event, and I said, oh, wow, this is a really neat book. And I uh, I read through it, and uh, I said, oh, my gosh, we had to get this person on the show. So what is a Rainmaker? Sorry? Uh, tell us what is a Rainmaker. Well, um, the Rainmaker, uh, you know, I say in my book with, as if it's positive truth, but I'm not sure it is, but I think the Rainmaker concept probably started with the American Indian, where the where the guy would go out and do a dance and whatnot, and the rain would fall down and uh, the crops would grow and the people would would survive. And and so that's what a rainmaker is in business. This is the person, uh, male, female, old, young, any ethnicity, any gender, any color, anything else, who brings in the business, who brings in the big money, who brings in the revenues, the, the new keeps the great customer, gets new customers. And the rainmaker is... Um, uh, more pr- more predominant in uh, commission-based sales and in small businesses than it is in large corporations. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the rainmaker probably represents about five to ten percent of all salespeople. And the rainmaker, the one single characteristic that distinguishes the rainmaker from the ordinary salesperson is that they sell more. That's the distinguishing wow. factor. 
and they sell more because they do three things that an ordinary salesperson rarely does and in and, and many cases never does, and that is, number one, they prepare uh, every single sales call on a decision maker in writing very, very carefully uh, pre-call plan. So I, ca- I call it pre-call planning, and, and they anticipate every objection and how they're going to handle it and you know how much money they need for the toll booth to get across the bridge and everything they prepare uh, pre-call plan. Second thing the rainmakers do is they don't sell products or or services or features or benefits or technology or patents, and they don't sell sales experience. What they sell is money. They sell the dollarized value the customer is going to get from the product. So they don't sell a gasket. They sell a dry engine that reduces warranty claims and the costs associated with them. And a third thing they do, which is also very rare, is that they always ask the customer to do something. They always get a customer commitment to an action that will lead to a sale. So those are the three things the Rainmaker does. They pre- the, the, the Rainmakers do. They pre-call plan in writing. They sell money. I call it dollarization. They dollarize the value of their products. And the third thing they do is they always ask the customer for a commitment to an action that leads to a sale. So that's the three wow. things a Rainmaker does, and, and that's why they're unique and special and that kind of thing. Is there a certain skill set uh, that the person had to have, or something that you know is it hereditary? You know, they're born salespeople. There, some people have to be taught. Tell us what the makeup of that particular person normally is. Well, the rainmaker, um, the rainmaker does have skills, and these are skills that can be taught. And there are some people, you know, by by background or upbringing or whatever, are more confident and outgoing and and would appear to be the stereotypical salesperson. But the reality of it is is that the rainmakers usually tend to be much more quiet, thoughtful, modest, they're listeners. And they do develop, uh, the good ones develop uh, skills. They they learn how to pre-call plan. They learn how to ask carefully thought-out questions. They listen carefully for... Uh, numbers, facts, dates, times when they ask a question. And um, they they really do develop skills, uh, skills for effectiveness, which is reducing the number of sales calls it takes to make a sale. And they mm-hmm. they develop skills of efficiency, which give them, make help them make more appointments. So I, I believe that, that anybody who's willing can become a rainmaker. And, you, you know, in, in our programs with clients, we show them how to quantify the benefits of the product and then dollarize them so that if they say our product is lighter, L-I-G-H-T-E-R, you know, the customer knows nothing. But if you say our product weighs four pounds and the competitive product is five pounds and you're selling to an aerospace company, that one pound lighter can be dollarized as to how much fuel is saved, for example, or how much more how many more miles the plane can fly the fuel savings can be calculated and that reduces the cost of that uh 4 pound part you can you could the cost may be lower but the price could be higher and then the fact that they could fly the plane or the helicopter farther means that they could probably sell more helicopters so the rainmaker dollarizes the value of the cost reduction and the value of the extra sales that their customer will get by using the lighter Okay. We're going to take a break real quick, and we're going to come back and talk about 
uh, in your section uh, four, you talk about customers don't care about you. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a moment. You listen to the core business show. We'll be back in probably about uh, 30 seconds. You're listening to the core business show sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours, and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists. Or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to The Core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. Again, we're back with uh, Jeffrey Fox. We were talking about uh, how to become a rainmaker. In your your fourth chapter of your book, you talk about customers don't care about you. Does personality really play a huge part of that particular person in order to become a rainmaker? Well, in a way, it does because there is the the calculus for making a business to business buying decision, for example, is about eighty five percent solving a problem and fifteen percent feel good, whereas a consumer product, sometimes you might have 50, 60% feel good versus solving a problem. And part of the, the, the solving a problem part is reducing costs, avoiding costs in the future, or helping the customer increase their sales. Those are, can be manifested a million different ways, but those are the three problems that, the, that any product solves. With respect mm-hmm. to feeling good, that can be someone's personality, it can be the brand name. It could be the company they represent. It could be prior experience with the salesperson. But so, you know, uh, I, I think you, you can't be a brooding clod and be a good salesperson, but you don't have <laughs> to be, you know, you don't have to be, uh, you know, jumping all over the place either. So um, I do think I do think uh, personality is helpful only if you're willing to do what it takes. Um, with respect to the, the customers don't uh, – care about you, that's because in the business selling uh, arena, they have a problem to solve. And what they care about is that problem. And the good salesperson keeps asking questions until he finds out the problem and then offers a solution and dollarizes the value of that solution. So that's why I... Because what, what the, the fact in, in selling and in all marketing, whether it's advertising or anything else, this one rule is true. If it's all about me, you lose. If it's all about them, you win. And that's what the great mm-hmm. salesperson understands. It's all about them. So they don't There's use no... the word I. They don't use the word I all the time. For example. I. Okay. They don't. They don't write their ads in the first person. You know, we will this or it's always you will get. Wow, that's powerful. There, you. Does no always mean no? No, it doesn't. It 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 means that at that moment. Um, the customer see the what the rainmaker understands almost always when they especially if they have a technological product or a product that that the, the customer should be buying and is not 
is that their competition is really the lack of education to the customer. The customer doesn't really understand why they should buy it. And so no means to the rainmaker that you have, hasn't done a good enough job educating the customer, hasn't asked enough of the right questions, the compelling questions to draw the customer out. So that's that's why no is just a signal that to the rainmaker that he has to uh, switch gears a little bit and, and ask more compelling questions. Wow. And we also, you're talking about the, uh, uh, in your book, uh, killer sales question number one. Tell us about that killer sales question. Well, I, don't, I remember this. I know there's six there's six questions in the book, and I, I can't remember which mm-hmm. one is which. But um, what, what, how does it go, Tim? So let's, let's have it in front well, of you. it's on, it's a, yeah, okay, killer sales question. Uh, you can't get the sales unless you talk about talk to the decision maker. So I think one thing about how they right. get to the decision maker. And so right. That. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. I, I, I if I recall, because I, I, you know, I have a there was another book uh, I wrote called Secrets of Great Rainmakers, and it's really a sequel to this book, and it's all all new stuff and different stuff. And I have killer sales questions mm-hmm. in that one as well. But I think the question you might be asking there is, what what the rainmaker always wants to do know is who is the decision maker or makers and uh, and so you have to ask the question this way who in addition to yourself will be responsible for putting this product into production or who in addition to yourself will make this decision or who in addition to yourself um, can give the final approval or whatever but you always ask who in addition to yourself you never say, are you the decision maker or who else is the decision maker or are there other de- – you never do it that way. You do it precisely the way I said it, who in addition to yourself. And there's a lot of compelling reasons in the book how to become a rainmaker for why that works. Hmm. Wow. Also, you're talking about, uh, I think, in a few chapters later, I say don't drink coffee on the sales call. Right, so that's right. Because- <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, I, I, you know, it's it's funny. I get letters, probably, I don't know, I'm gonna say every week, but certainly I get letters every couple of weeks from custom from people who've read the book and salespeople from all over the world, and that is probably the one that gets the most. I get the most letters from. It's uh, it's don't drink coffee on a sales call, and and the reason for that is because a sales call is not a, a, a coffee break at Dunkin' Donuts, and you know you you can't ask questions with coffee in your mouth, and you can't take notes with a coffee cup in your hand and it, it's just in the way and I can't tell you how many letters and, and stuff of people giving me anecdotes where they spilled a cup of coffee on the customer's desk or they spilled it on their lap in the car and before they went for the appointment or I mean just had one the other day where uh, they were the, the, the two people were flying to, to meet a, a client on Ozark Airlines I didn't, know, I didn't know Ozark Airlines was still in business and at any uh, rate they hit a bumpy, pa- bumpy patch and they spilled coffee on themselves, and they had to go to a clothing store as quickly as they could when they got off so that they could be more properly attired for the sales call. So drinking coffee before or during a sales call is no reason to do it. It's like taking a pitch down the middle. Don't do it. The same thing, uh, which you mentioned later regarding eating lunch is not for lunch and right. wearing the pin in your shirt. You shouldn't really do that anyway. Right, um, You're right, exactly. Yeah, you wear a pen in your in your shirt and and you and it's and it leaks and now you've got a Rorschach test going on your chest, you know, and you know or you put a line on your shirt or it's it's you know again it's the little things like that that make the difference between a pro and an ordinary salesperson. Hmm. And, and later, you also you mentioned treat every uh, person you meet as a potential client. 
Right. That's right. And and well, first of all, it's just good manners. But secondly, you know, you you really never do know who who is a, a, a relative of a potential client or who is a, um, uh, a influencer to a potential customer. I mean, I think I tell a story in the book. I'm not sure, but this took place in uh, in a little uh, little luncheonette place where it was summertime, and this guy started to berate this young girl when he was leaving. Uh, she was probably 16 or 17, something like that, and, and she was taking his tip, his his check, and you know it was for like nine dollars and something. And he was yelling at her about something, and almost brought her to tears. And then she le- he left, and then. There were three other kids there, another boy and two girls. And one kid said, you know, I've seen that guy in my mother's office. And his mother was a was a physician. And the other three kids were were kids of physicians as well. Can you imagine? Four four kids, maybe one was a brother and sister, I don't know, but four kids and all their parents one of the, at least one of their parents were doctors. And this guy was a drug salesperson for one of the big drug companies. Well, the kids got on the phone immediately and called their parents and told them about it. So this guy probably lost all the business in that town because he didn't treat everybody he met as a potential client. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Now, kids are one of the most powerful closers. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, gee. Also, you know, we, we talk about, uh, I think, all this same adage regarding wine tasting. and yes. Even if yes. you go to a reception, you really shouldn't be drinking. Well, I'm, I'm doing two. There's two two different things. Um, let me see. If I, first of all, in my book, How to Become CEO, I say don't have a drink with the gang. That's one thing. After work or whatever. A second thing I say is, you know, skip all office parties, uh, Christmas parties, unless spouses or boyfriends or girlfriends are invited. Skip those. Now that's contrary in advice, and a lot of people tell me it is, but it's it's a fact. You never want to you never want to get the, the, the wrong reputation if you work for a company. Now, in in the case that you just mentioned, uh, to always taste the wine before a wine tasting. What that's about again is preparation. It's mm-hmm. if you're going to if you're in the wine business, for example, which I used to be. We have a client in, the, in that business, and you're going to have all the restaurateurs and wine writers and publicists and stuff like that come to a wine tasting of your say new vintage or a new varietal of wine you're going to introduce you always taste the wine first you don't open the bottles of wine and give a little small sample to everybody and find out that the bottle was sour because that is your first impression and you've you'll lose anything you've ever done so that's about preparation always taste the wine before the wine tasting you know always proofread your letters always uh always do the things to avoid uh unnecessary uh, an, an unnecessary accident. Hmm. And which uh, the other part of that, which I saw was really, really uh, dare to be dumb. Tell us right. about that. Yeah, dare to be dumb. I mean, that is what the great salespeople do. I, I had a, <laughs> we, we. It really is. It, it's you're asking the questions that that no one else asks because they're afraid they won't look technically strong. We have a client, for example, that sells very, very sophisticated locking systems and locks for, for example, rekeying uh, dormitory doors in a college. Now, heretofore, before we worked with them, the salesperson would go visit the locksmith 
and he would talk about the lock in terms of you know a steel hardened case and had this kind of turnstiles and all these kind of crazy things. Now what the salesperson does, he goes to the director of admissions and says, why do you want a lock? He goes to the director of plant and equipment and says, why do you want a lock? He goes to the head of security and says, why do you want a lock? And they all want locks for different reasons. The director of security obviously does, wants to reduce vandalism and, and uh, assaults and breaches, and the, guy, the other guy wants to, um, he wants to uh, reduce the amount of uh, – um, he wants to reduce the amount of, uh, of um, say, accidents in the parking lot, or the, the director of admissions wants to reduce the amount of crime that's reported in the newspapers and so forth because they want to get more kids. Every one of those answers can be dollarized. So daring to be dumb is to ask the questions that that don't you know you nobody asks anymore. Why do you want a lock? Why do you want a gasket? Why do you want a bearing? Why do you want the sealant? Why do you want anything? Why do you want to advertise? Why do you want a marketing plan? But if you ask it, it's not going to take it doesn't take away from the expert. You're already in front of the guy. The guy already knows you're an expert. He wouldn't be talking to you unless you were. So dare to be dumb is the is the perfect way for uh, for a great salesperson to find out what benefits they can discover they can deliver to the customer. Also, I think later you talk about give and getting. Um you must give to get. Um, right. Right, correct. It, 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 in Latin, it's quid pro quo. You know, you you get something when you give something. You've got to, you, you've got to, you've always got to. If you give the customer something, for example, you give the customer a sample of your product. You've got to get an agreement that they will test it. If you if you give the customer, um, if you give the customer a proposal, you got to get from the customer uh, an agreement that they will respond to it right away. It's when you it's always you always and then you always want to get a customer to do things for example you if you can ever get a customer to do, when a customer does anything they make an investment in the process they make an investment in going forward with the, with the sale that's what i mean they agree to see you so they have a problem that's whenever a customer agrees to see you that's a it's a buy signal b u y signal they, they they know they have a problem so when they do something they're farther along the process that's why in the old days you should see the car salesperson would always hand the customer the pen. And when the customer takes the pen, they're now, in, they're now much more invested in, make, in purchasing the car. So if there's lots of things like that, uh, Tim, but that's what the great salespeople do all the time. They're always practicing to get the customer to do something. Wow. And is there, a, you know, also you, right after that, you talk about selling on Friday as well. Sometime right. there, tell us about that particular chapter. Well, you know, the 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 best time in the world to sell is before eight o'clock in the morning, and after three p.m. on a Friday afternoon. And a Friday afternoon, if a customer agrees to see you, that there's a lot of things going on. Number one, a lot of times the buying, their buying uh, barriers are down. They're thinking about the soccer game over the weekend or barbecuing or whatever. They also many times believe that if they make a decision on a Friday afternoon that they can sleep on it, so to speak, that it's revocable, that it's changeable, and it's not. If they decide to do something, they've done it. But the most important reason that anybody will see you on a Friday afternoon, they got a problem. And, of course, you're the only one selling on a Friday afternoon. That's the difference, mm-hmm. too. All the other guys have quit. So, uh, you know, it's it, it's a uh, it's a wonderful time to do it in Rainmaker's 
really don't waste that uh, those two or three hours after 3 p.m. or 2 p.m. if you will on on Friday afternoon. And uh, last two questions regarding you don't make sales calls. I mean, I'm sorry, you don't make cold calls. Right. A cold call is for your listeners. A cold call is the kind of thing you get at 6 p.m. at home when they're trying to do a telemarketing thing. That's a cold call. They don't know anything about you, and they just call up. It's the same thing in selling. Where, you know, in the old days, it might have made sense because people kind of expected, you know, the tinkerer in his, in his horse truck to knock on your door and sell you pots and pans or something. That's a cold call. But today's world, you know, dropping in on a customer uh, who you haven't made an appointment, the guy probably isn't going to be there or a gal won't be there. It's certainly you're going to be interrupting them and all that kind of stuff. So cold calls are the least, the lowest probability of success of any kind of sales call there is. Now, there's plenty of ways to warm up the sales call. You know, do a little research ahead of time, send the guy a letter, do an email or something. There's plenty of ways to warm them up. And, you know, I we worked with a young salesperson, and he he got the job. He was working for a copying company, I think, if I recall. And they just gave him, a, like, a, an address book, and he was supposed to walk down one, one side of the street and knock on doors and walk in and see the businessman and sell him a copier and then go down the other side of the street. Well, you can call in 100 people. You get one person that even will talk to you. So cold calling is really a, a very, very low probability of success. It's well, like you might as well go to the casino. Might as well go to the casino and put, <laughs> put your money on the roulette wheel. Well, when you have those type of situations of the cold call, you mentioned you need to actually warm them up, send them something to at least for them to know who you are. Right. But, but here's what the Rainmaker does. The Rainmaker says, okay, i got a target customer. I don't know anything about them. They know nothing about me. So what, the, what he does first is they do, do pre-contact research. That is, they look... Uh, Today it's so much easier, of course, to do the research on the Internet or something. They look on the Internet. They try to figure out, do, is there a possibility this guy can use my product or services? Um, who is the decision maker? And they look to be, find something that's surprisingly not, they want to be surprisingly knowledgeable about the customer so that they can surprise the customer with their insight. And they look for a referral, somebody that might know somebody in the, co- in the company. So when they do all that, then they do a preliminary dollarized Dollarization. They say, well, you know, based on our experience with other bearing companies, we have a high degree of confidence. We can reduce this guy's cost of uh, of uh, warranty claims or something by a hundred thousand dollars a year, or whatever it is. And then they write a letter to the to to a letter, not an email. They write a letter uh, to the, who they believe is the decision maker, and he could be the CEO, or it could be the vice president of marketing, or something like that. And they go, dear sir. Uh, so and so suggested uh, I give you a, I contact you. We thought you might, you guys are you know innovative people and early adopters. You might be interested in this a, a way of reducing your cost for warranty claims. Um, we have a high degree of confidence we can save you probably a hundred thousand dollars a year. It take about ten minutes to explain. Uh, if I don't hear from you at one eight hundred Rainmaker in the next few days, please expect a polite follow up. Sincerely yours. And then P.S. I'll bring along examples of other companies that have saved money by reducing their warranty claims. That's what a rainmaker does, selling money all the way. And the follow-up calls would be about the same thing. They'd leave the same message. It's like a layup, a jump shot, a foul shot. They're all made with the same motion. 
And that's the same thing the Rainmaker does. He uses, the, whether it's a letter or a voicemail or a follow-up email or how he opens the sales call by saying, I agree to thank you for seeing me. And as we, as I mentioned on the phone, uh, this will take about 10 minutes. Is that still okay? Yeah. And the purpose of our meeting today is to show you how you can save your company $100,000 and reduce warranty claims. Can, do you mind if I show you how that could happen? That's what a Rainmaker does, just like that. Wow. Anything else would you like to leave us regarding this particular book? Well, you know, I, I, as you know, and I'm to brag upon this, but it was, it was selected as one of the hundred best business books ever written. And the people who did that, I, uh, this group of um, critique critics and whatnot, I called them up immediately and said, "How come you didn't list my other eleven books?" So. Um, <laughs> And they said that one was plenty. So anyway, so so your listeners can, um, you know, especially people in, in small businesses and or guys on commission, uh, this book can make them a lot of money. Wow. And also, you, of course, you have uh, several other books. You've been writing one per year. I think your first book you mentioned was to Become a CEO. Right. Um, and uh, the latest one, you say you just wrote the, this the year? One, the one that just came – the last two books um, – the last two books were How to Be a Fierce Competitor, which is um, very well received. And the recent one that just came out two months ago is The Transformative CEO and Impact Lessons from Industry Game Changers. And in this book, we have 40 or 50 CEOs that did amazing things. Um, they reinvented businesses. They turned around companies or uh, they started whole new uh, industries, um, you know, like uh, Tony Shea, CEO of Zappos and um, Colin Ravinescu, who turned around Air Canada, Peter Cuneo, who turned around Marvel Comics. The stock was selling for 93 cents a share when he took it over and sold it for $56 a share to Disney. And people like that, Jim McKay, McCann, who started 1-800-Flowers.com, etc. So that book is also full of great ideas for uh, for managers and leaders in their companies, I think. Wow. Well, really amazing. Now, if they want to reach out to you uh, in your company, kind of tell us about your company and uh, how we kind of contact you. Well, our website. Yeah. Well, you know the 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 books the bookstore the book business is really changing in terms of distribution. Um, You know, more and more of the publishers are are themselves relying on people like Amazon to sell the books, which I think is stupid. And uh, then there's a company called One Eight Hundred CEO Read. That um, they're specialized in business books for two businesses, and they're a wonderful company. Um, and the books should be in all the good stores and at the airports. But I notice that distribution is becoming more of a more of a problem for publishers. They're all scared to death of Kindle and eBooks and all that. My books are on those too. My books are audio books as well. But um, the website is uh, www. dot fox and company all written out. F O X A N D company C O M P A N Y. dot com and and my email address is jfox at foxandcompany.com. So well, we're you know, in Ch- Chester, Connecticut, and little teeny town. Well, great. Well, thank you for coming on the program and talking about this book. Hopefully we'll get you back in the future. Anytime. Thank you very much. Great interview. Thank you. Take care. Okay. All, all the best. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been another production of The Core Business Show. You can download this episode on iTunes or Blog Talk Radio. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. I'm Tim Jacquet, your host. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet.